Hey everyone, before we get started today, I wanted to mention that when we finished this episode, Tavis said, oh shoot, I forgot to mention a book that's been super important to him. And it actually is the book called 30 Day Stay by Sarah Weaver. It was a book that I gave him when he finished the renovation uh, of Huntington, the, the house he talks about a little bit here and there. It's his most recent executive rental, midterm rental. And he said there's just a really well laid out book that has a lot of different topics he had not really thought through and it just puts everything kind of in one spot. And so he he really does like that book, 30 Day Stay. And so I'll put a link to it in the notes, but I wanted to go ahead and mention that here because he was he was aggravated at himself that he didn't mention it during the, the podcast. So that's it. I hope you enjoy the episode. Okay. Yeah. Avoid the riffraff, avoid, you know, parties, avoid, you know, trying to qualify people that are booking for just a weekend and things like that. There's a policy in your insurance or coverage in your insurance that is labeled as ALE. It's alternative living expenses. And uh, so you have companies that are designed around this that are in charge of placing you. You are now listening to the Real Estate Heavyweights Podcast. You see this guy here staring back at you? That's your toughest opponent. Every time you get into the ring, that's who you're going against. I believe that in boxing, and I do believe that in life. Your weekly deep dive into DFW real estate, life, and beyond. With your hosts, Tavis Westbrook and Ashton Hines. Well, good morning and welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Heavyweights Podcast. And uh, I am Ashton Hines. I am the newbie of the group. And by newbie, I mean, I've been at this for about three years. I've had my license as a realtor. I've been, uh, I've been you know, working full-time as a physical therapist assistant in home health. And I just finished my fourth flip. I've got one long-term rental. So I'm just now kind of learning how to do all, you know, all the little steps to build your portfolio and and try to get some traction and some momentum and and really try to build something uh, big and you know build some wealth. And helping me out with that is a good friend, a mentor, just an overall good dude, Tavis Westbrook. What's up, Tavis? What's up? What's up? What's up? Not much. Yeah, Tavis. Uh, if you have if you've not heard before, Tavis has flipped over two hundred houses. He's got a small commercial building. He's got some midterm rentals. He's got some long term rentals. He's been at this for a long time. You know, he's uh, 15, 16 years, something like that. He's he's really been going after it. He's seen some uh, ups and down cycles. And uh, he's been a part of the Keller Williams Dallas Preston Road office that I'm at now. And there's over 600 agents there for years have leaned on him as kind of the investment guy. And uh, so I've been blessed to have him in my life over the last year and uh, learning from him every step of the way. So I ask a lot of good questions and he has some pretty good answers. And so in this time slot for the last several weeks, we've done interviews. And last week we did Jessica Starr interview. She's a, a floor plan designer. She's got a great following on Instagram. She's got a lot of really, really cool things going. And uh, so go and check that out. She talks about how to build your own home, how to, you know, teaching people how to do that. We've had someone from the wholesale business. We've had flippers. We've had someone who used to carry around $50 million in his car and cashier's checks driving down to Houston once a week. Uh, you've got to go listen to some of those interviews. Uh, I think you will you will definitely learn something and I think it'll be entertaining. So uh, today we don't have an interview though. Before all the interviews, we actually did uh, what we called the Real Estate Heavyweights University. And uh, we're going to double back on that a little bit today. And the the class we are entering into is 
one to learn about midterm rentals. And Tavis has uh, a handful of midterm rentals at this point. And I just thought it'd be a really good idea to to dive into that. I've used that phrase with some professionals, some other agents, and it's a little unclear. Oh, what is this midterm? You know, everybody knows Airbnb. Everybody knows what a, a rent house is, but midterm is is a little bit elusive. So um, I thought, you know what? Why don't we go ahead and, and learn about that? And Tavis is going to do a deep dive into one of his deals and talk about numbers and, and profit and all that stuff. And so I think it would be a great insight as to maybe it's something you want to add into your business because it, it definitely is for me. Um, so Tavis, why don't you, why don't you kind of start us out? How, I don't think I've ever asked you this. When you started holding stuff, what was your first buy and hold? Was it a long-term rent? So my first, uh, my first buy and hold was actually basically a house hack. Um, I bought my first house when I was 21. Um, it was uh, kind of a funny story between my wife and I, we were dating and I had just turned 21. Um, my birthday's in June. So it was August when I met her and, uh, we just started dating and I'm like, Hey, my plan is to buy a house this year. And the funny thing with that is, you know, I, um, I moved out on my own pretty, pretty young. I moved in with an older brother when I was 15 and then, um, was out of the house, um, right before my 18th birthday, I'd moved to Austin and was working down there. My first place was a room for rent. So it kind of, you know, was on my own very early. And, um, you know, so many things I was running into, I had to be 21 years old to do. And so it was funny cause I didn't realize I could actually buy a house at 18. Now, if I would have qualified as a different story, but <laughs> Nevertheless, in my mind yeah, was right. when I'm 21, I'm buying a house. So I turned 21 to meet Tabitha. She's actually was in the mortgage industry at the time. She was uh, on the underwriting side. She worked for a wholesale mortgage company. And um, so she was very familiar with it. And again, you know, she kind of laughed at me and said, you're crazy, you know, and, you know, you kind of speak it into existence and start, you know, making goals happen and start working that direction and the right opportunity opened up. Right. So it was actually a friend of mine, uh, that owned the property and he was selling a couple of, it was a rental for him and he was selling it and, uh, he had good equity in it and, um, it, it just kind of worked out. So we ended up closing on it, you know, the latter part of, uh, 2021 rolled into it and, uh, purchased it. And then Tabitha and I actually got married in 2022. So, you know, another funny part is 2001. Yeah. So am I saying yeah, I didn't get married two years oh, ago? Gosh. Yeah, here we go. Yeah. So you lost 2000, dec- yeah. You lost 20 years. It's too many 20s, man. Too many. We're, we're talking too many 20s these days. Uh, <laughs> we, we're, we're getting into the math again. This is going to be a bad episode. This is a bad yeah, one. Don't don't do math in years. That, that, that obviously is not my strong suit when I'm talking about years and math. Now, we talk numbers That's and right. purchases, right. different stories. So anyways. Uh, yeah, 2001. Yeah, 2001 by the house Tabitha and I get married 20 or 2002 geez and we lived in the house for about three years or so and then we decided to keep it as a rental and and move to uh and move to Plano and uh actually we had a lot going on at that point in time because we were basically we decided to rent it I wanted to rent it even though it wasn't in the business yet Tabitha was in the underwriting side I was actually in telecom at the time and thought this would be great, you know, if I can keep this property as a rental. Well, it actually made more sense to keep as a rental than than sell it because we didn't have a lot of equity in it, and the market wasn't, you know, we didn't have 
huge appreciation back then. So long story short, I decided to keep it, rent it out. Um, it cash flowed a little bit back then. It, I think it was, I can't remember now, but maybe the PITI was maybe a thousand bucks a month or somewhere in that range. And I think I rented it originally for maybe, you know, 1200 or something like that. Originally 1250, maybe. So it made a little bit, wasn't crazy, but it was, you know, it started the momentum, if you will. And so we, we rented it out. We had the first set of tenants in there. I want to say at least three years or so in the, you know, immediately right after that, we moved to Plano. Things were pretty chaotic in the telecom industry at the time and ended up deciding I wanted a career change. Real estate was calling my name and I got out of telecom in June of 20 or June of 2004, keep wanting to say 20. So 2004, jump into real estate, do a crash course at Champion School, get my license. I'm licensed in August and, uh, you know, start selling real estate. Yeah, close my first deal in October of uh, 2004. Um, so nevertheless, have this rental. So, you know, it's in my mind, right? I'm taking all the real estate classes, you know, now I'm going into this. I'm a landlord, you know, I own, I own a rental, you know, our first rental we had bought our home in Plano that we live in now at that time. So anyways, that's, that's where it started for me. And then, um, yeah, I didn't pick up a second one, believe it or not. And this is, you know, we talked about this before. One of the biggest regrets of not picking other stuff up, you know, I, I shifted my business in 2009 to really get focused on the investment side. REO was big at that time and things like that. And, um, you know, I didn't pick my second one up until 2016. So, there was a big wow. gap. There was a big gap in um, no kidding and and picking up yeah more rental properties. And you know this is something I talk about. You know it's just that it's important to to start thinking you know wealth and and picking off a property when you can. You know George talked about it as well. You know we've had a couple other people. I mean Mark Fuller talked about the regrets as well. You know man I've flipped you know hundreds of properties, you know, Mark's probably done more than me at this point. You know, I've done over 200. Mark's probably done more. George Roddy's definitely been exposed to more than me, um, over the years, but you know, it's just a different mentality. You just have to get, you know, shift it. Um, so in 2016, we picked up our second one and then, you know, it started to become a little bit more clear on like, Hey, I need to pick up more. And, um, and then I believe in 2019, I picked up a third one and then, uh, let's see, 2020, I picked up two, I think that year. And then 2021, I think we picked up, you know, a couple more. And then anyways, we're up to about 14 doors now, you know, including the commercial property, which is, you know, five doors. So, you know, we really got serious over the last couple of years, but cool. so, so tell me this. So you, you have the background of the long-term rental. A lot of people are really familiar with it. You know, long-term rentals, we've talked, we said it before, kind of a benchmark numbers. Hey, can I get 1% return? You know, I'm all in for $200,000. Can I rent this for two, you know, $2,000 a month around here? It's very difficult. Abilene, it can be, you know, done around here. You can get close. I actually penciled a deal for a, a potential investor out in Crowley, uh, out in East Texas a little bit, and it for sure had the 1%. So it's doable. So what made you start thinking about doing the midterm thing? Was it just the, the numbers didn't pencil on a certain deal and you thought, yeah, but if we can rent it for this, did, did you have a friend that did it? And you're like, what the heck, you know, you're, you're bringing in a lot more than, than I do. Like what kind of turned that for you? Yeah, it was uh, kind of the multiple, multiple things, right? So yeah, uh, uh, anything that, 
when when numbers started getting into the mid two hundreds to three hundreds, you know, and, and up, uh, it just the rents aren't one percent rule anymore, right? So it just doesn't it doesn't make a lot of sense. And now, of course, you know, you're dealing with taxes and insurance as well that has completely spiked, you know. But what we looked at was uh, a friend of mine did tap into it, and they got into a townhome. And mind you, their price point was 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 pretty high, their entry-level price point that they got into. And they had kind of learned about this. Now, the mindset was executive rentals. And so this was like, I want to say they got into it around, I believe it was around 2020. They might have tapped into it in 2019. I can't remember exactly. Nevertheless, they got into it and the mindset was executive rentals. The mindset was corporate, right? So, you know, kind of going after the corporate executive and uh, another friend of mine was doing, you know, like corporate house housing by owner. And so we had a conversation and his was kind of a house hack the, the other guy that had it in uh, Las Colinas, he had lived in the home before and then learned about doing, you know, like corporate housing by owner and he started doing it. And so at least I had some people to talk to and kind of just get an idea. And yeah. it was very similar to the boom at the time talking about short-term rentals, right? Talking about SDRs and Airbnb as, a, as everyone nickname, nicknames a short-term rental. But one of the biggest things was, you know, 30-day plus. And a lot of it was like, okay, yeah. avoid the riffraff, avoid, you know, parties, avoid, you know, trying to qualify people that are booking for just a weekend and things like that. And so we were trying to target more of the sophisticated. When you're kind of running a hotel, it, it, exactly. Uh, but we were trying to look at it for the, yeah. And none of that really sounded attractive, right? I know how hard it is just being in the construction side of things when we, when we have a hiccup and I can't imagine, and, and there was a couple of friends of mine that were doing the, uh, you know, the weekend short-term rental stuff. And the biggest headache I always heard was the cleaners, you know? And I was like, oh man, I could just see that blowing up, you know? And, and friends of mine saying, you know, they had a, you know, somebody was in the house, you know, for Friday, Saturday, and then they had somebody moving in Sunday evening and cleaner doesn't show up on Sunday when the person moves out on Sunday morning. And they're over there with, you know, him and his wife cleaning and scrubbing the house because the cleaner didn't show up and they didn't want to get yeah. a canceled booking. And I'm like, that sounds like a nightmare. First off, I don't like working weekends. Yeah. <laughs> and the next thing is I don't yeah. want to get a phone call last minute because the cleaner doesn't show up and then I'm getting stuck on, you know, trying to pre-book this stuff. So the short, the short term stuff. And Tabitha is, might stab you if she, if she has to go over there and start scrubbing bathroom, she would come out of the bathroom with a uh, kitchen. Yeah, I mean, you know, that would be we, a one-time deal. Believe it or not, we've done it back in the day for flips and investment properties and, 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 uh, 11th hour crunches before we've, we've had our share, uh, just in the investment space by itself without getting into the stress of, uh, having something pre-booked, you know? So anyways, that was, that was attractive to me is kind of just learning all that. And of course, you know, the, the artistic side of it, right. The decor side, and then putting everything together, obviously kind of is right up my alley as far as, you know, designing and putting together something that was great. So, uh, you know, a couple of friends of mine do it before me, you know, so it was kind of in the back of my mind. And obviously I get up every day, you know, I've got multiple leads, lead sources that go on out there from my network, et cetera. We've talked about that before. And so, 
I get a lead. The very first one I pick up is in Plano. It's um, fourth quarter, 2020. And I get this lead. I look at it and I'm like, yeah, it works as a flip. But as I kind of studied it a little bit more, I'm like, man, I think this, I think this might work. You know, I think this might work as a, you know, midterm rental. We didn't even call it that at the time. We were still staying like Airbnb, but 30 day plus, you know, it, I don't think midterm rental was even mm-hmm. a, a phrase yet at that point in time. And, you know, we were saying corporate or executive rental. So anyways, we, we get into it and this house was, was hammered, ran. So, you know, it, we basically took the same approach that we would with a flip, except I was able to talk to the bank about a buy and hold strategy. And so it changed the numbers a little bit versus like a flip, for instance, because, they require a little bit more for the debt service co- coverage ratio. And we wrote the numbers way down. Like, so we, I wrote it like a minimum of 150 a night, which comes out to be uh, about 4,500 a month. And so I kind of looked at it that way. And so when I looked at what my, you know, principal and interest payment was, I believe on that property, it was somewhere around like 13 or $1,400 a month. Um, somewhere in that range. So it was mm. like, okay, thirteen, fourteen hundred dollars a month. And then, you know, taxes uh were, you know, roughly five thousand a year. Um, so you divide that by twelve and then your your insurance, right? So insurance at the time getting into it was like fifteen, sixteen hundred bucks. Now of course that number's like in the threes. Like every insurance policy I have right now is in the threes. Like it doesn't matter. And so, you know, you look at that, obviously, just like you would on a 12 month term, you look at the numbers and break it down and go, all right, what's your principal interest taxes and insurance? What's your monthly there? And then what can you rent it for? So if you're looking at a minimum 4,500 bucks a month at $150 a night, which again was pretty uber conservative, you can find the data on like AirDNA. You can also just do it from like a consumer mindset and go into Airbnb, go into VRBO, go to Furnish Finders, and just look at other properties out there as like a consumer and go, you know, what's my competition look like? And so that's kind of where I started. And then you have to really plug in for vacancy. So that's one of the biggest issues that you run into with this type of business, the midterm rental business is vacancy. So you have to keep the back end open. So short-term rental, the whole idea is you want to book your calendar right? And you want things pre-booked, especially if you have like a vacation property and broken bow and stuff like that. Like there's people that have bookings for a year out from now, you know, you know, for us, we, we can't do that because we need to be able to be flexible on the backside. And so, you know, when, when you plug in your numbers, I was plugging in pretty conservative, like a 10 month rental. So 10 month rental, $4,500 a month is 45,000 a year. Uh, is the way that I kind of plug in my numbers from that point. And then you look at, you know, I've always been a big fan of, of figuring out my ROI with three main factors. Uh, so those three main factors is basically your cash flow, you know, what you, what, what the cash is left over after all expenses and reserves. So you got to make sure that you're putting up reserves for maintenance fees as well as vacancy right? So you got to make sure you're plugging in that vacancy number. And if you're, you know, uh, PITI, and then another, another thing that you have on this is the, you know, the monthly expenses. So you've got, you know, you're paying for, you know, cable TV, we're paying for electric, we're paying for, you know, gas, if there's gas service to the property. Uh, 
<clears throat> and then um, one thing that we do in addition is the cleaning service. So we actually provide uh, housekeeping every two weeks. And there's a reason for that is one, it keeps up with the property, keeps it in the best possible condition at all times. The housekeeper knows what they're what to expect when there's a move out. And then uh, it also is eyes and ears on the property every two weeks. So we know kind of how somebody's living in it, what they're doing. If everybody's on the up and up, everything's, you know, everything's working cohesive the way it should. So once you plug in, you know, those numbers, let's say, you know, hypothetically, you're looking at, you know, the $1,400 that you had for the principal and interest, then you've got another, you know, call it $300, you know, for taxes. Uh, and then you got another like, you know, 100, 150, 200 bucks a month for insurance. Um, so that's like five plus that. So call it like 1900. And then, you know, your, your monthly expenses, you know, are going to vary a little bit, but, you know, throw in another 500 bucks on top of that, you know? So now you're, you're sitting around 24 to $2,500 a month. So if you can, you know, get at least out for 4,500, obviously it's about a $2,000 a month gross income or gross net, if you will. Um, but you're going to have two months vacant. You know, so you've got to back in, you know, another $5,000 annually from that. So, you know, the numbers look great, you know, when you break it down, you know, originally. So it, it looked very attractive and it was like, hey, this is something we get on. Well, what worked out even better for us is, you know, we were wrapping up the renovations on the property in February, I believe. And I can't remember exactly when the freeze happened of 2021, you know, the, <laughs> when, when DFW froze over that, was that, was that February or was yes. that, it was February. It was like February 17th or something, wasn't it? Yeah. It was after the first of the year. That's about yeah. right. That's when ERCOT became famous. Yeah. 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 So we, we actually were out of town at the time. Tabitha and I were, we were in Jamaica, uh, celebrating kind of a postponed anniversary because we wanted to go prior to that in August, but, uh, COVID restrictions wouldn't allow us. So it got shifted to February and we were out of town. Fortunately, we had a house sitter, um, but you know, we kept losing power. And so the fruit, the pool froze over, you know, there's a video landing running across of it, uh, across the pool, you know, and, um, you know, our house vetted pretty well. Um, I think at one point the, you know, kitchen sink wouldn't, uh, wouldn't allow water to run through it, you know, had frozen up. But, um, anyway, so that happens, right. And we got this property and we're wrapping up, you know, to get it done. Well, once that happened, you know, we were in need, we were in heavy need. So we ended up, uh, getting somebody kind of locked and loaded that needed a place. They were living in a hotel and we weren't done with the renovations yet. Like, I don't even think I was fully painted yet. And they, they wanted the place. And so we ended up booking it. I think they moved in in April of 2021. And I believe they originally booked for five months. Then they extended for like another two months. So like our very first tenant, we looked out, you know, we ended up getting, you know, seven months. And, you know, when I analyzed the numbers and looked at it and said, I need at least 10 months to kind of make my numbers make sense. You know, getting seven months off the get go was, was great. You know, it was great momentum to get things going. So just a, a quick question about the financing. So I know you, you use the traditional bank and did you refinance that uh, after the renovation or did you have a product that 
accounted for the the purchase and the rehab, and it was a long term loan too. How did how did that work for you? Yeah, so uh, the what I've got is you know it's a it's commercial bank loan basically. So this is in my LLC uh, entity that we borrowed the money against, and it's a debt service coverage ratio type of loan has a five year okay. term, so it'll actually mature in twenty twenty five. Um, but you know, at the time we were able to lock it in, I think I've got 5% on it and it's a 20 year amortized loan, but it matures and, you know, at, at mm. every five years. So yeah, at the end of five years, we can look at it. I could, I could roll it into more of a long-term conventional type of loan if I need to. Obviously I've got a relationship with a bank, so I'd like to, you know, continue to make it work there, but that's how we structured it. But yes, to answer your question, we rolled in a good amount of renovation. Now I believe I was pretty, uh, I believe I missed the mark on that one. <laughs> uh, I'd have to look back and see what it is. I ended up spending a lot of cash out of pocket because I don't believe I budgeted, uh, what it ended up costing me to do the reno on this house. I want to say that I only probably rolled in about 45,000 in reno. When I first walked it, it looked to be pretty cosmetic. It had foundation work before, you know, it was pretty much going to be, you know, a dressed up cosmetic renovation. I was keeping cabinets. I was able to actually keep the the wood floors in this house, but okay. there was a lot of work that had to be done. And, um, it, it, it the biggest issue was the plumbing, uh, the cast iron pipes, uh, failed. And so once that happened, then, you know, the bathrooms got gutted, you know, and we were completely redoing all the plumbing in this house and everything else. So, that that renovation budget with with furniture ended up, you know, going into the hundred and twenty five thousand dollar range easy. So you know it ended up being a lot of cash when you when you plug it in. Again, you plug in at the calculator, and I, I started to say earlier, there's three major ways you get cash flow, and then principal reduction, and then appreciation. And so, you know, for me, fortunately, appreciation's been great. Uh, cash flow has been even greater because we we originally anticipated only leasing this thing at a minimum of 150 and 150 a night. (laughs) And I haven't dropped it that low ever. Our original booking was 175 plus $10 a dog and they had two dogs. And so it was $195 a night was the original booking. And so that's pretty much been my average. It's gone up a little bit. I've had bookings up in the low twos before, you know, and stuff like that. But um, so it's, it's exceeded those numbers. And so the numbers rather than 4,500, it's been about six, 6,000 or more a month. Okay. Now for you, your referral source, well, uh, two things, we'll get to your referral source. Cause I want to, you know, there's a few ways you can go about this. There's the executive, there's insurance, there's traveling nurses. Those are all kind of along in the same route. So I was, I want to kind of pick your brain on how you landed on the, where you are now, but let's circle back just real quick to the furniture, because that's definitely a huge difference between a long-term rental and this, you know, this is along the same lines as an Airbnb, you know, you're sort of presenting a decent hotel. Now I've been in a long-term rental just so happened when I was doing home health one time, I had a patient that was in town, they were there several months and it didn't feel anywhere as nice as yours do. So it's, it's all relative, you know, you, you don't have to do it anyway, but I mean, you are marketing it and I know your style is actually really nice. And so I would imagine that that initial, you know, cost of, of putting the furniture in and stocking the kitchen and 
you know, really being thoughtful of how this is going to age and that sort of thing. You know, I, did you feel like you got it right the first time? Have you changed how you do that? You know, h- how have you done the furniture thing in the le- next several ones? Yeah, you know, that's a, I mean, it's a great question. And I think a lot of people miss the mark on that as well when they're, when they're planning this out. So we originally kind of got some ideas, you know, friends of mine that were doing stuff in Broken Bow. And I was like, hey, what's it costing you to furnish these houses? And, um, you know, that the number that you heard a lot was like 15,000 and it was like, oh, okay, that's not bad. I will tell you this, the average that is costing me just for the furniture and the bedroom mattresses. And again, we don't cut corners on bedroom mattresses. We we've been using nectar mattresses. That's a, you know, memory foam and stuff, but they they work really well. I've gotten great, you know, um, great feedback on it, you know, throughout the couple of years now we're we're seasoned, you know, uh, going on, uh, our third season or a third year, um, with our first one, uh, here coming up in, uh, in March will be three years on that property. So, you know, anyways, I, I have had great feedback. So my thoughts are you can't cut corners on the beds, especially when somebody's going to stay there for a long period of time. You know, I think you need comfortable mattresses, you need good sheets, you need good linens, you know, those are all important things to me. And then furniture that's going to hold up, you know, I mean, there's been a lot of people obviously go for the cheaper stuff and their mindset is, you know, they're going to tear it up anyways, you know, and my thought is I need it to last. I don't want to be replacing the stuff. And you, you've stayed in Airbnbs quite a bit and I've stayed on a few and most of the time the couches are just completely, you know, uncomfortable. (laughs) They're terrible, you know, like you can feel the whole wood frame inside of them. So uh, you know, yeah, for us, for sure. you know, there's probably people listening to this that probably disagree, you know, but I would say that the furniture is usually between 10 to 15,000. That's actually the physical furniture. That's your dining room table and chairs. That's your, uh, accent chairs. That's your living room couch. That's, uh, you know, your, your bed frames and your mattresses, you know, and your coffee tables and your end tables. And, and you know, that's your furniture, but then you have all the other stuff. Right. So, I mean, with, with us and you, you obviously see it in competition. There's a lot of people that don't do this. All they care about is sticking the bed in a room and that's it. There's no artwork on the walls. There's no TVs on the wall. There's no lamps. There's no, uh, you know, there's nothing, right. It's just bare, bare bone walls. You know, uh, it's basically like a 12 month term rental and they just stick some furniture in there and they call it a day. You know, that's, that, that's some of the yeah. competition out there. <laughs> it's like a European hostile type feel, you know, it, exactly. Kind of, yeah. Just very stark, you know? Yeah. Like my, my 12 month rentals, they're nice. They're not as nice as, as the midterms, but it's a different product, right? I mean, it, it, it we're creating sure. a home away from home. I, you know, the, the, the idea of somebody coming in to a place that feels like a luxury five-star hotel is that you get that experience of, being comfortable and you have stress going on. Typically these people, especially the majority of our tenants have been insurance based people that have been displaced from their home based on a flood, based on a fire, based on whatever. And they need a place to take their family and move and, and then deal with the chaos of a remodel and all that on another, on another side of things. Yeah. So we're creating, sure. you know, this environment that they can be in and be relaxed and, you know, and live comfortably without the stress, uh, of living, but deal with that other stuff that they're dealing with on the side. Um, so yeah. 
by the time you get into it, so the numbers I've, I've been saying that this last one that I did in Plano ended up costing me about 35,000 all in with furniture, decor, necessities, you know, linens, towels, sheets, kitchen. Uh, and then you have the exterior stuff, right? Yeah. You got a full kitchen. You got to think about small appliances too. So we usually do like the little ninja blenders. We do a crock pot. We do a skillet. We do hand mixers. You know, you got to think about, you know, people are living in these homes for a period of time. And a lot of people have spent holidays right. there and then they, they want to entertain. They've got family, you know, they want to live life normally. And so you've got to think through, like, they've got to be able to fully cook in a kitchen. They've got to fully entertain. They've got to be able to take care of their family versus like a Airbnb for a weekend doesn't have to really worry about that. You know, it's, it's rare. Somebody's going right. to be exposing the kitchen to its full potential on a weekend. Right. So, you know, we looked at, uh, you know, on average it's, I've been saying it's somewhere between 25 and 30,000 all in when you, when you net net, look at every single dollar you spend, because we make sure that we're doing decor too. So, and I'm doing, you know, fake plants and I've got artwork on the walls and, you know, knickknacks and little figurines and stuff that are throughout the house that, make it look like a homey lived in home. And we've got, you yeah, know, for sure. uh, different books and, and literatures though, so that, you know, you can relax and read a book and it's been pretty cool. We've had some tenants that have actually, you know, brought some books and added some books to the collection and, and things like that over the years. So, uh, that's, that's been cool. really cool. We're big on yeah, having, I've, I've spent some time over there and, you know, we, we just did a video on, your uh, Instagram and Facebook of your Huntington one, your lat- the latest one you've you know renovated, and so if you want to get a feel, Tavis has posted several videos of the, actually uh, I know Huntington and I'm sure a few of the other ones in the past, but you know it, it definitely has that sort of masculine kind of hotel lobby feel, you know, and um, yeah, it, I, I think it does a great job. Well, let's kind of wrap up a little bit and let's talk a, a little bit about your referral sources because. If you're in the game of midterm rentals, your source of who's going to be coming to you and spending really good money on this varies a little bit. And early, like you said, early on as executives, you know, they come to town and AT&T needs them for a project for six months and they have an allowance. And so we're going to put you up and here's your budget. And then you have the traveling nurses and therapists, you know, they typically are doing 13 week uh, rotations and they'll come to town and they want to be up somewhere. You know, that might be more of your condo. Uh, you know, one bedroom, two bedroom type places, you know, your larger homes, maybe not ideal for that. And so the other source that I know of is insurance. And like Tavis said, when someone has pipes burst or there's an emergency or a fire or whatever, insurance policy kicks in and says, Hey, here's your budget. And it's pretty legit. You know, they don't, they tend not, it seems like they don't really mess around. So how did you get set up with those? Is there an application process? Do you kind of just find one and, you know, it goes well and they call you again, or how would someone go about getting set up with the insurance? Yeah. Great question. So, you know, there's a couple different options out there. Uh, I was fortunate in the very beginning the very first tenant I got actually, you know, uh, was a matter of me actually posting property on Facebook saying what I was putting it out for. And, uh, somebody had reached out, actually an agent reached out that knew, uh, friends of hers, And, um, and so it kind of, they found me, they found the house and then, uh, connected back to the, uh, placement company that was facilitating the insurance company. And so, 
those exist. Like basically that's up to the insurance company who they choose to hire. And those are placement companies. There's a policy in your insurance or coverage in your insurance that is labeled as ALE. It's alternative living expenses. And uh, so you have mm, companies okay. that are designed around this that are in charge of placing you. So typically they, you know, they are going to go to the easiest places to place you at first. Typically it's going to be uh, a small hotel or a, a, a quick, uh, a quick hotel, or maybe the, the insured will go to a hotel because they have nowhere else to go. And then uh, they'll look at apartments, you know, and things like that. And, um, so things like that start there. I mean, for us, uh, you know, again, we were kind of going after the executive or the corporate rental. Uh, my friends that had the townhome in Plano, they originally hired a, a management company to facilitate this for them. Now, mind you, the management fees when you get into this can get quite expensive because the numbers are high. And so they, they want to make some money. So those numbers typically somewhere between 20 and 30%. And you'll see this like in Broken Bow, for instance, if you have a management company handling short-term rentals for you, that number is pretty consistent. Somewhere between like 20 and 30% of the gross rents will be the management fee, but they usually turn key it for you. So they're responsible okay. for all the little details, you know, when it comes to setting up the property. And if somebody wants a crib in there, you know, they, they'll do it full service, you know? So, um, you know, a lot of times they, they might even provide the linens and stuff like that. Um, so those companies do exist. And then of course you have the ones that we all know about Airbnb, VRBO, um, furnish finders. Um, you know, those are kind of the major three, uh, that the consum that the consumers know about. And you can list the property on those with minimums on days that you want to, uh, allow it to, to be marketed. So, you know, you can do minimum three days, you can do minimum one week, you can do, you know, minimum 30 days or minimum 31 days. Well, right. that, you know, now that there's these restrictions in cities um, around us that are restricting people um, to, uh, you know, not allow the short term rentals anymore, people are forced to have to change, um, you know, the days, the, the minimum days um, to adapt to this. So we've seen a lot more uptick in competition. You know, when I started this, you know, three years ago, um, there wasn't as much competition. Um, you know, we, we were, there was no inventory. And, and so we, we felt like we did really well. The rates were a little bit higher. Now you pull it up and there's a lot more inventory. There's a lot more people that were short-term rentals that have now play and now playing in the midterm rental game right. or trying to, and their numbers are really low but you can tell by the quality uh it's also kind of created a bad taste in a lot of people's mouth now i'm getting more requests now of people wanting to see the property before they book it where airbnb and vrbo before were big on you know nobody sees the property you've got to trust the pictures you've got to trust the information to uh, to book it so that's been challenging for both sides for the landlord side as well as the consumer side on trying to find a place that you trust, um, to get into it. So, you know, it's taken time. I mean, three years into it, I've got some relationships and I've got some emails, you know, with some of these placement companies. Uh, in fact, today, this morning, I sent out an email to, you know, three or four different placement companies, as well as, you know, uh, making some changes on Airbnb and VRBO to, to try to get some triggers, right. To get some calls. And I actually, 
you got one vacant right now that you did a video for me the other day, or you you narrated it for me and did a great job editing that video. And so, uh, you know, we obviously are trying to get that one uh, booked up here. And uh, both calls I got uh, today actually were related to somebody that, you know, recently had some water damage uh, based on this freeze that we just had. So as unfortunate it is for those people, obviously, we're happy to play a part and be a solution in that situation. You know, sure. and we'd, we'd like to see more corporate, I think, kicking gear. I'm starting to get more inquiries sometimes that are corporate based or people that are relocating. You know, I've had a few people that were in that position. Uh, but I think COVID changed that game, you know, because everybody got comfortable being in virtual environments and Zoom calls and, you know, things like that where they physically yeah. didn't feel necessary to, to travel. And um, and so that kind of slowed that world down a little bit. So, you know, it's interesting, you know, we'll have to kind of see how those things play out with the corporate housing side. But I think it's picking back up. Yeah. I think more people are requiring people to show up. Yeah. Well, good deal. Well, I think that was a really good overview of of kind of the concept of midterm and what it takes to get into one. You know, everyone's financing is going to be a little bit different on the front end, but, you know, they can be really good deals. And I think once the the Airbnb, the people who were trying to do Airbnb, now they're trying to pivot. You know, I think some of those will even fall away, you know, because I think it's still you, this almost this hospitality min mindset is just not for everybody. And you realize that there still are, you know, some high maintenance people at your house and you're, you're having to keep it nicer. And, and I, I think some of those will probably fall away. So hopefully your competition doesn't, you know, jump up yeah. through the roof. So I meant, I meant to mention earlier, you, you mentioned something about the traveling nurses. And so that was another option. You know, one of mine is very close to a, to a big specialty hospital. So I thought I would get more activity there. Um, but I think you you kind of touched on it a little bit that, you know, like having a full three bedroom, two bath, two car garage is not necessary for like a traveling nurse. Um, and so they're typically looking yeah. for that smaller unit, that one bedroom, one bath, um, you know, smaller units that are less expensive uh, and easier to get into. Yeah. Um, and that and that type of thing. So I haven't had a lot of that, even though I thought that uh, we we initially might um, from that side of it. But, um, sure. anyways, um, it, you know, again, I, you see them out there, but they're typically less or it could be a great house hack. I mean, one of the things that I thought about, you know, like with my kids, especially like Landon being 18 now and buying a house, like buy a house, three bedroom, two bath, and then rent out the two rooms, you know, and do it either through furnished sure. finders or, you know, do it through, um, you know, there's an app out there called Roomster, you know, things like that, where you can kind of house hack your own place before you, you know, get settled down and have kids, you know? Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I, I had, um, the, I have a client that's looking at, to get into the midterm rentals and I mentioned the traveling nurse thing and, and he's actually looking for a pretty nice house and it would not, you know, it didn't dawn on me like, yeah, you know, I, I doubt their budget is that to get into a, you know, five bedroom house somewhere or whatever. But for a long time, you know, I, in my mind, that's kind of who was renting those things. So it's, there's so many nooks and crannies of the real estate business. You can figure it out. Everyone, you know, finances them different and furnishes them different. And, you know, there's just so many ways to do it, but I'm, I'm glad you broke it down because, you know, me personally, I would love to do one at some point. Um, I promise not to buy one, three houses down from yours on Huntington and, you know, go <laughs> direct competition, you know, 
just to just to see who can figure it out. But no, I, I will I will go across town at some point. But anyway, I, re- I really appreciate it and you being open about the numbers and all that sort of thing. So, well, uh, stay tuned for our next episode, which will be this coming up Friday. Friday episodes, we do a market analysis, just kind of what's happening around the DFW real estate market. We touch on any news stories that are pertinent. And then, you know, lately we've been finding a, a, an article or two and just kind of vamping on that a little bit, talking about you know, what the the six most popular paint colors are for 2024. And those are all really funny to me because uh, typically I don't agree with about half the stuff they write. So it's kind of a fun conversation. So in the meantime, uh, if you could share this podcast with anybody, your friend, you know, send them a link, say, hey, these guys are are pretty great, good information. We really would appreciate it. And uh, you can find me. I'm the Dallas Real Estate Guy on Instagram. Tavis is Tavis Westbrook, Travis without the R on Facebook and Instagram. He has Tavis Westbrook designs and you can find him all over the internet. And until then, until next time, we really much, very much appreciate you. And we'll talk to you soon. (laughs) 